Listener discretion is advised. right now podcast will we tell true stories of survivors of true crime natural disasters and everything else in between and i am now officially 30 years old oh yeah you are oh, happy birthday fine. this Thanks. bitch as in me didn't even say happy birthday to you for like two days i know <laughs> i got a text messages by the way happy birthday two days later I'm like oh no, we had a giant party at Michelle's house, so it was really nice. It was, yes. I did feel like a total B, though. No. I realized I was like, oh my God, I never <laughs> said happy birthday. I'm not on Facebook at all, so I don't yeah, have yeah. any reminders. I got to do it all in my head. I hear you, girl. So but I, I mean, apologize. yours is October 24th. Like, you know, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I remember immediately. It's uh, fine. It's fine. Anyway, no, we had That was hilarious. <laughs> now we had a giant party at Michelle's house, so well, thank you for letting us rent that space out. It's Our perfect. fucking pleasure. She got me a giant cake. She got me balloons. It was awesome. All my balloons were mean. It was it funny made me, though. Made me so happy. It's the best. Caitlin's so nice because she threw herself a little bit of a thirtieth birthday, and then had some other people like, "It's my thirtieth birthday too," and she's like, "Fuck it, why not? Let's all just have a giant party." Yeah. And Michelle over here was like, "Nah, this is all for Caitlin." And so I made all the balloons pretty much say as much. Yeah. Was that mean? Oh, no, I, was I think it's funny. Up. It was mean. I did. As soon as it went up, I was like, oh, God, her other <laughs> friends are going to get so mad. They didn't. It's fine. Yeah. Your one friend did kick me out of the party immediately. That's true. So, so I funny. stayed, though. <laughs> ha ha. It's my house. You can't kick me out. Oh, uh, that's true. So 30 has been fine. It's been good. Yeah, girl. I, feel I mean, you. it's. No, yeah. you're, you know what, well. your 30s are good, yep. and you know what, your 40s are going to be even better. Can't your wait. 30s will be better than your 20s. Mm. I can almost promise you. Gosh, I sure hope so. Yeah. No, 30s were a lot of fun. I'm well through them, as you know, <laughs> and well Barely. into my 40s. <laughs> and you're living life, girl. Yeah, and having a good time. That's a good time. So, Very it's a good time. It's a good time. So, did you get these drinks as a oh. little gift yes so my parents bought me all this booze to make this special drink and as you know i am a very avid alice wonderland fan yes you are so they got me all this stuff to make the drink me potion and we drank the shit out of them yeah so it was (laughs) uh we made a pitcher because the the recipe they gave us was a pitcher amount. It, hopefully. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was a lot of cups involved. Yeah. So it was uh, one cup vodka, one cup simple syrup, one cup lemon juice. Yep. And then it was two ounces of Midori and two ounces of... The blue carousel. Yeah. Carousel. And then some silver edible glitter. glitter. Ah. And you couldn't really see the glitter in the photo, but it was really pretty when you like stirred it and Well, this is like my third drink in this same glass that had the glitter in and it. it and you can still see the glitter in yeah, it. Yeah, I just can't see it in the photo, but it's really pretty. We it was there. A... Just now. Yeah. Yeah. And they're tasty. It's really strong with the citrus side because of the Midori and the lemon juice and the you know yeah. carousel. Um They're lemony but good. A yeah. little sweet, but definitely, like, I always struggle with the blue carousel because yeah. it's just so blue. Oh, my it gosh. Is, yeah. It's so blue. But this is a tasty drink. I it's would drink really it tasty. again. It's really tasty. I would drink it again, too. So this is the Drink Me Potion from Alice in Wonderland. Thank you, Mom and Dad. Indeed. Indeed. I think I'm on my third or fourth glass, and I can feel well, they're, it. They're small glasses. but I yes, don't think right. they're that small, and <laughs> well, there's no ice. And so I think we're oh, I we're just you. going hard. It's well, almost also gone. we had five farms, so Oh yeah, of course we did some shots of five farms. It's your birthday, my yeah. god. I got two things of five farms for my birthday, so thank you for that. Did you get peppermint vodka as well? No, I brought that myself. <laughs> I was like, where the fuck did someone get peppermint vodka already? No, I had a whole stash, so oh I brought god. that for my birthday. So That's hilarious. It's my favorite. It's super tasty. I made it last the whole year, man. All right. Let's get into the meat and potatoes. Ooh. All right, right. Kaylin. Damn. So, this story is about Christina Martinez. Christina Martinez. All right. And it is August 4th, 2009. Okay. And we're in California. In California? Yeah. Oh, I thought you said 
Okay, never mind. Do you think I Marin, California? Oh, so I thought maybe you were, we were in a specific town. We are in California. Yeah. Great. All right. Okay. All right. Sorry. So Christina <laughs> is twenty years old, and she has a one-year-old boy. Okay. So she had been dating her boyfriend Kylo for two months now, and she was hanging out at his cousin's house with him. And the baby was, I believe, at her mother's house. Mm. So the baby wasn't with her. Okay. So this is not dad. No. This is Boyfriend. another gentleman. Exactly. Okay. Three men came over to the house and Christina knew them okay. They were more acquaintances than friends. Mm, okay. She at least knew one of them because... Like, I know who that guy is. Not, we hang out all the time. Yeah, no, exactly. And I'll get into the relationship in a second. Oh, But okay. so as the evening went on... It was time to go, but Kylo wanted to stay at his cousin's house. Like, I want to stay longer. And she's like, well, it's getting late, and I have a one-year-old, you know. And so the three men offered her a ride home. Okay. And she's gotten a ride with one of them before. Okay, so it's not unusual and being like, you know. No. It's not setting off any alarm bells or no. anything. So she accepted, and... Should it have be setting off alarm bells? We shall see. We shall see. Oh, I suspect yes. As they were going along, they said that they may stop at the beach and walk along it and smoke some weed. Okay. So they stopped at a gas station where they got gas, cigarettes, and two Arizona iced teas. Okay, this all seems pretty normal. Mm-hmm. So the driver, it, the, he was driving a Mitsubishi, and oh. his name was Jose Miguel Elia. And he's 27 years old. Okay. And he's also known as Mike. So I'm going to refer to him as Mike because that's what he goes by. That's, yeah, okay. That's Yeah, I mean, sure. Uh, but so Christina and him used to, they went to a few raves together. And her rave name was Candy. He was sometimes even a fatherly figure to her since her father passed away when she was 18. Okay, wait. Let's just put okay. the brakes on this relationship. Yeah. It was all fine until he became, like, a father figure. So how old is Mike? He's 27 and she's 20. Okay. I mean, he yeah. would take care of her, in, you know. Her dad was super strict, so her her dad used to be, like, in a gang. And when she was born, she was the first daughter, so she couldn't, like, cut her hair. She couldn't walk on the block by herself. Mm. She couldn't go out. So, of course, she rebelled when she got older and such. But he passed away, I believe, from a heart attack when he was, like, 35 because he was, like, overweight and just Just had some health health. issues. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's hard to hear. Yeah, right? Okay, and so Mike, who knows Christina as Candy from all the raves, is kind of like a father figure. Yeah. So then they started to drive east away from the beach because the beach was west. So they right. were driving the opposite way. And she's like, what the fuck? I was ready to smoke a J with you guys Pretty on much. the beach. She asked where they were going and no one answered her. Mm. As they kept going, Little Wayne was playing on the radio. Oh. But it is a minute I detail, wish I could but... come up with a fucking Little Wayne song of any kind at this point. But nothing's coming. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I just, yeah. I don't know. Uh, anyways. I'll get back to you later. I'm going to look some shit up. <laughs> Christina felt a little uneasy, but it passed, and she just thought maybe they were doing another stop before they went to the beach. Or they changed their mind, you know? Mm, Okay. But she's probably a little bit on edge. Yeah, I mean, because she knew that Mike always carried a knife on him with a royal royal blue handle. Mm. And Christina said that Mike could be very intimidating and took things pretty personally when it comes to like little arguments like any small argument would set him off Mm, it was five days ago before this night her and kylo were having her boyfriend were having an argument and mike took his side and they got into it and they started yelling at each other and he told her to leave and will leave his hood and then she had to call and have her mom pick her up And so that was a huge fight. They saw each other once after that fight, but didn't talk to each other. So this is the first time that they saw each other again after Mm, the fight. I see. Okay. Mm -hmm. So she thought that this walk on the beach and the weed was a way for him letting this disagreement go. And she was ready to 
you know, move on. We're friends again. It's fine. Yeah. She's ready to move on with it if he was ready to move on with it. Okay. Okay. In the passenger seat was a 21-year-old named Vincent Mendoza, who also, she knew, carried a knife that was silver. Hmm. And then to the right in the back of her was Eddie Moraz, and he was 24 years old. She only had met Eddie, like, twice ever, once at a pool and once, like, at a barbecue or a Oh, I see. So she never really had any conversations with him. Okay. But they are now headed towards the hills southeast of Los Angeles. Hmm. Mike is going 50 miles per hour in a 30-mile-per-hour zone. He drove through an intersection near the mouth of Turnbull Canyon and canyon not canon michelle <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> caitlin i just drooled that's what happened oh that shit was funny uh, nicely done so, yes canyon yes so now the roads were narrowed and it turned into dirt hills you're so mean <laughs> uh, so mike turned his head and said to christina i'm going to have to tie your hands what and she said what and then he turns to Eddie and says, tie her hands. Christina looks at Eddie and he now has a piece of rope in his hand. Oh, shit. So they are prepared. Yeah. He's not like, nah, man, I don't need to tie her hands. Nope. She said, you're not going to touch my hands as she pulls her arms to her chest. Fuck yeah, Christina. Eddie reached for her, but Christina dodged him. Mike yells, tie her fucking hands. And Christina kicks him in the face. <laughs> Eddie was trying to knot the rope around her wrist, but Eddie, Christina could tell, was nervous and he fumbled a lot. Mm. Christina is not even five feet tall. She's tiny. And Eddie I'm is, assuming tiny and feisty. And oh, yeah. Because, kinda... well, Eddie is double, double her size and Christina was able to dodge and move from him ever getting to her hands. Fuck yeah. All I can think of is like, she's got like a plus eight to her dexterity. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so, such a nerd. God. Mike then took his knife and leaned back in his seat. He placed a blade on Christina's throat and said, if you don't stop moving, I'm going to fucking kill you. Jeez. Christina cried, why are you doing this to me? One thing Christina did not know, there had been drama from her argument with Mike. Oh, okay. So it is about that stupid argument. It is about the argument. What the fuck ever, Mike? So, okay. Let it go, man. Please listen closely because this is how it goes. So, word of the disagreement had reached Christina's former boyfriend, which is the father of the baby. Okay. And so, he got the impression that Mike actually had beaten up Christina in that argument. But it was just a verbal altercation, correct? Correct. Okay. And then, they believe that the former boyfriend vowed to retaliate against Mike. And then, Kylo... Her new boyfriend found out. So he told Vince, Vincent, uh, and Who Vincent. Who is guy in the passenger seat. Yes. Okay. And then Vincent told Mike, and now Mike thought Christina put a hit out on him. Oh, good heavens. This is drama that has I spiraled know. out of control. And then Mike wanted revenge because he thought she No was bitch is to gonna put a fucking hit on me. Yeah. It's probably exactly what he said. Before leaving <laughs> on the ride, Eddie said like later that Mike had gone into the bathroom at Kylo's house and injected himself with meth before oh, he offered the ride. That yeah. sucks. Fucking meth. Ruined anybody's day. Oh, absolutely. My drink is almost gone. Your drink is almost full. What the fuck, Caitlin? I've been telling my fucking story, Michelle. Whatever. Anyway, so so Mike is on meth during this thing, you know? Okay, so perhaps he's not thinking totally straight. No. So since Eddie has been no help, Vincent reached over and punched Christina several times. And then Eddie, then Eddie was able to tie Christina's hands up in front of her. So she has her hands tied in front of her. Oh, and is now probably bleeding from her nose or some probably, such thing. Probably, yeah. Oh my gosh. She didn't move, but she could see Vince holding a needle and a syringe. <gasps> he turned to Mike and asked, where do you want it? He said, in her neck. Oh, this I know. is very upsetting for me. You, oh, just you fucking wait. Oh, oh, my God. Vince leaned and plunged the needle into the left side of Christina's neck five times. Just <gasps> oh, over and God. Over. My stomach just went like, oh. Oh, I know, right? Is this a meth needle? I'm assuming. They, okay, so they never said, but police believe it was insulin. 
Oh, interesting. I know. Listen, listen on. So she felt. <laughs> <laughs> listen, bid for one second. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> she felt. We'll get to it. She felt a stabbing pain each time he did it, and not and did not know what she was injected with. Christina grew nauseous and terrified. They were now at Turnbill Canyon. 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 <laughs> Eddie pushed her out of the car, and Mike grabbed her by the shoulders. Christina is now gasping for air. She would cough and then choke. Her body grew hot, and she began to feel numb. Oh, God. This so is like, I'm beginning to feel numb. This is upsetting. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's what insulin does if you don't have, you know, diabetes or something like that. I don't know what it does. What happens if you have too much insulin? It must lower your blood sugar so much that you probably almost pass out. Maybe. Maybe that's what she was feeling. Again, Christina asked, why are you doing this to me? Not answering her, Mike guided her toward a steep embankment. He untied her hands and said, if you trust me, nothing's going to happen to you. Why the fuck would I trust you? Right? Even at all. For one second. He put his arms around her and asked, do you trust me? No, man. Like, not a little bit. Right? Christina was thinking, why is he playing a sick joke? Like, yeah. this, is, this is insane. I'm and sure then, she was like... Yes, of course I trust you. I mean, that's what I would do in that situation. Well, she didn't say anything. Then he pushed her to the ground and she felt a blow to her head. <sighs> he said, you set me up, he said. And as Christina felt another blow to the head. Oh my God. So she's like getting beaten with something, not just like getting kicked in the face with his boot. Correct. Yes. Yes. Huh. She didn't feel any pain because she felt numb from the injection. Oh. And she heard footsteps coming and then another blow to the head and then to her ribs. And she didn't know if it was a baseball bat or what was hitting oh. her, but it was heavy. Good Lord. She was bleeding and her eyesight started to fade and oh. then she lost con consciousness. Well, it's probably from not only being beaten up, but probably the insulin. It's oh, probably. It's probably sending, lowering her blood sugar so much that she's, yeah. you know, losing all energy and... Mm -hmm. Probably can't even think straight hardly at no. this point. So what Mike was hitting her was a large rock. He grabbed a large oh, rock shit. and was just hitting her. Ugh. Finally, Eddie came up to him and told him, all right, like, stop. That's enough. Christina came to but could not see, just hear what was happening. Ugh. Then she felt her body being lifted. She said, someone said, she's out, she's out, grab her shoe. What? I don't know. She was now being carried by each limb, so by her legs and by her arms. I see. And then all of a sudden, they throw her off the cliff. <gasps> I thought they were going to throw her into the trunk. Nope. I was wrong. She could feel herself falling, then tumbling, rolling over bushes, branches, rocks, and things digging into her back and scratching her cheeks. Oh my god, that sounds like... Well, the whole thing is obviously right? a nightmare, but sounds like a... Even more nightmare. The tips of these sticks and rocks like tore her face, arms, legs, and feet. Yeah, I have no doubt. When she finally stopped, she was 20 feet below the road on her back. Ugh. She still could not see, but she was starting to feel again. She was lying next to a tree and she turned onto her side and onto her knees. She used her hands to push herself up. And then finally her vision came back. So then Mike is now running down this hill yelling, you tried to kill me, you tr you tried to threaten me, this is what happens. So he's not just driving off, he's like not done. He's not She's done. She's been stabbed with insulin, beaten within an inch of her life, thrown off a cliff, and he's like, fuck it, I'm not done with her, let's just keep on going. Yep, exactly. Okay, well that's what fucking meth will do to you. Yep. She knelt and she tried to push him away, but then she saw the blue-handled knife. <gasps> I had a feeling that we were going to see this again. Just let it happen. Just let it happen, he said. And she felt the blade against her neck, ripping her skin. Oh he was slashing God. at her throat, left to right. One slice cut two inches across beneath the left side of her chin. Oh. And the next slice was two times longer, running from the... From her ear line to her chin line, lifting out his knife after at two inches, then thrusting it back below the initial entry point, creating a shape of a two-prong pitchfork. Oh, so he was like kind of made a U and then like further down mm -hmm. or something. I think or so. Some Whatever the fuck Mike is doing. Yeah. Well, he pretty much cut her throat twice. 
Yeah, he's slashing at her. At least two inches deep each time. Oh, my God. She dropped to the ground and began gagging and gasping for air. Mike then began to climb up the the cliff again. Christina touched her neck, and she licked her hand, and, of course, it's blood everywhere. Covered in blood. She thought, okay, this is gross, sorry. Mm. She thought her wounds were wide enough that her fingers could slip right inside of them. Oh. And to touch her vocal cords. Oh, oh, that's terrible. Oh, my God. She cried. She was able to still speak, so he didn't cut her jugular or her vocal cords. Oh, wow. So he was just slicing at the side, kind of. I guess so. She said, oh, my God, I'm bleeding. And then all of a sudden, she heard, she's still talking from above. Oh, fuck. Damn it. As Mike climbed, he motioned to Vincent, and he began to make his way down. And then she could see his silver knife in his hand. Fuck these guys, man. I'm done with their dumb knives. Oh my gosh, right? Fuckers. So so Vincent maneuvered behind her. She felt him plunge his knife into her neck two jabs. Jeez, her poor neck. Yeah. Oh my god. More blood spilled out. And she how thought... How does she have blood left? I don't know. And how she kept consciousness? Because she thought, if I am still awake, they're going to keep going. So she played dead. She just closed her eyes and laid limp and just Ugh. pretended that she was dead. Good call. Right? She could hear Vincent climbing back up the road. She heard the engine start and then the tires against the gravel. So they're finally fucking gone. Yep. When she thought that they were gone, she you know, woke up, she took her shirt off and tied it around her neck to stop the bleeding. Oh, smart girl. So barefoot and bleeding With her poor shirt around her neck that's probably bright red. And barefoot, she's climbing up this cliff. Oh my gosh, Christina, well done. She had to jump back down a small ledge and hide behind a rock because she saw the car that it turned back around towards her. What the fuck? Mike, I'm done with you forever. Just FYI. But Christina was able to climb out of the canyon and up a boulder and shrub-covered hillside and actually found a home where she banged on the back window for help. Oh, wow. So she found a house. Good. And luckily, you know. They were home? Yeah, they were home and they sprang to help and they called 911 right away. Oh. Yeah, a lot of times it's like, uh, I'm uncomfortable helping you. I'm just well, going to yeah, shut exactly, the door. Exactly, it's, it's scary when you see someone bloody at your house. It's like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. You know, and some people don't even want to be, it's don't like, want to get involved. Anyways, so, so Christina got to the hospital and then the police went looking for these three men. And actually that same night, police did find the car, pulled them over and arrested mm. them. What they found was a shovel, a rope, paper towels, gloves. They believe that they were returning to bury the body. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. So they went home to get more supplies yeah. to go take care of the evidence. Mm-hmm. But, ah, Christina got the fuck out of there. Right? Yep. So while Christina was at the hospital, her face was swollen, had busted lips, a slashed throat, and a split skull. Oh, my gosh. She received 10 staples in her head and numerous stitches in her throat and the back of her neck. So the trials of the men started in December of 2011. Actually, Mike, he pled no contest in March of 2011. So is he in jail then? Yes. So he didn't even go to trial because he pled no contest. So Mm. he didn't plead guilty, but he pled no contest. So that's pretty much a guilty plea, I say. All right, Caitlin. So he was sentenced to 39 years to life in prison. Oh, shit. Okay. All right. So then she, Christina, testified against the two other defendants in a trial because they pled not guilty. Vincent was convicted of attempted murder, kidnapping, conspiracy, and assault with a deadly weapon. And his sentencing was in February of 2012. And he received 36 years to life in prison. Dang. Mm-hmm. These are some steep sentences. Yeah, well, fuck I'm, them. Well, of course, fuck them. Yeah. I'm just, sometimes you hear about them and they're like... Oh, yeah, they don't get that much time. Eight months, mm-hmm. have fun, or 15 months, or, yeah, you know... three, three years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. My God, did you just read my I mind did. exactly? So, Eddie received the same sentence as Vincent, but only got 33 years to life in prison. Oh. Eddie didn't do any of the... 
actual beating and slicing and stabbing stuff like that. but with he was part insulin. of it i mean he didn't stop it and he tied yeah. her hands and ugh, i yeah and who knows he could have done the beating also with the rock i mean who can say both all three men are trash so <laughs> just if we're keeping track yeah after the indictment, Christina suffered from migraines at least twice a day, man. Oh. You, well, of course, your neck, your head, like, oh, yeah. my gosh. So, hopefully, I mean, she stayed strong through this whole thing. She had to testify twice for these, you know, two trials. So, that's amazing. Luckily, she had to do a third, but even that's so much to relive. Oh, yeah. Like, beaten, tied yeah. up, thrown off a cliff, stabbed cutthroat like holy cow <laughs> you know she had the full gamut of yeah. nightmare things to happen well unfortunately they caught him i'm oh, just the same night too yeah. so that's amazing for her super smart like to tie her shirt around her neck to stop the bleeding because the neck i mean you have arteries all around your neck so it's easy to bleed out yeah especially your head too that bleeds a lot too head injuries oh definitely. yeah they bleed like crazy well and i'm just Good thing she got out of there because yeah. if they would have found her alive again, they would have immediately yeah. killed her and been yeah. done with it. Or so. luckily they didn't have the shovels there and buried her alive. Yeah. She played oh dead. Oh, God. Oh, I didn't even think of that, Caitlin. I know. Oh. Terrible. And just that for a misunderstanding. One argument that went, like, that was such a misunderstanding turned into, like, a murder. Yeah. It was Attempted insane. murder. It's Again, let's talk things through, guys. Yeah. Let's not turn to murder. <laughs> let's take a fucking deep breath and figure <laughs> yeah. things out. Like maybe I... have a drink together, not meth together. No, not because that just apparently makes you angry. Don't do drugs, kids. Don't I do know. drugs. Well, pot's okay. Well, okay, but not well, kids. It's... Obviously, okay. Just cut that pot's out. Pot's legal in some states. Yeah, in Oregon. Thank goodness. But. Christina, I hope you're doing well. I couldn't have honestly found an update about her, which is probably good because she probably just wants to lay low and like yeah, live she her probably life disappeared. She just wants to, I'm assuming, just be done with it. So, Christina, you are brave. You're so smart and good on you, girl. Like strong I, as hell. Yeah, I hope no one has to go through that, and that for you to come out ahead, like oh. Yeah, I don't want to get beaten in my throat slashed. Yeah, like at all. Not How once terrifying. in my whole life. I just don't know if I would have the strength. I, I don't know. To, you would. Maybe. I feel like if anyone is, of anyone in this room, there's just Caitlin and I, <laughs> it's, you're going to fuck it. I'm not dying. I just turned 30. <laughs> yeah. God damn it. Damn it. They all said 30s were going to be great. Yeah, right? But, nah. So. They will be great. They will be great. And Christina, I hope you're doing great too. So, Damn. You damn, know, like, damn. oh my gosh. I was reading the story and I'm like, this is insane. Insane that people would go these, th just to torture a poor woman. Ugh, I know. I can't. I'm just so pissed off about women's rights right now. You know what so. you need to, I know. <laughs> Fucking feel me. Right? Female empowerment makes me right? emotional every time. <laughs> That's why I got so like, let it go. <laughs> frozen vibe. Elsa, I know what you feel. I don't want to conceal, conceal and feel. not feel anymore. Oh my god. But seriously. I know. And the I am Moana. Oh I'm, yeah. Ah, I'm crying. I am Moana. Oh, that's a good one too. Oh my god. Disney, you've done it again. I know. Freaking bringing, bringing it home for the, for the ladies. Oh Absolutely. my god. The uh, worst. I need another drink. Okay, Michelle. It is your turn to tell your story. All right. You ready? You I ready think so. ready to rock and roll? I don't know. The last one was traumatic, so. Well, this one is also traumatic. Uh, okay. I feel like maybe traumatic for different reasons, though. Well, I mean, I mean, surviving a near-death experience would... Be traumatic for anybody? Yeah, is that yeah, what yeah. you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, and it's going to be traumatic because we had another shot of Five Farms. <laughs> and some more drink. And yeah. I realized as I was chatting with you and Nicholas uh -huh. out in the other room, I'm slurring hard. Uh-oh. So I'm going to try not to, like, breathe super heavy and not slur a whole ton. Well, I will edit the slurs if you just say the word again and continue on like I did in my story. Well, I'm not making any promises. Okay, fair enough. All fair right, enough. all right. 
So this story is about Chris Lemons. Oh. And we're... That's a cute name, Lemons. I know. Nicely done. Was it from uh, 30 Rock? Liz Lemon. Yes. I fucking love Liz Lemon. Me too. Oh, 30 Rock, I love you. All right, back to Chris. And we're in sort of northeast Scotland. Oh. Slash the North Sea. So... Um, and is this we're, another fucking boat story, Michelle? It's not a boat story, okay. Caitlin. Right. <laughs> it is an underwater story, though. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. Like, and there was another oh one. I think gosh. I was looking at. It was a fucking pro- like a plane crash into the water, and I was like, "Nah, girl, you can't oh do my it." Gosh. Okay. Caitlin will kill you. Continue on. I was not wrong. So, um, this is actually September of 2012. Hmm. So. Chris and his fiance Morag Martin, and I apologize if I effed up the name, which I probably did, were kind of building a house and getting their dream life getting set up. And what Chris does for a living is he works on underwater pipelines oh, wow. in deep, deep water. Ooh, so I bet it pays well then, because that's dangerous. It, it does pay well because it is in fact very mm. dangerous. And his fiance morag of course is super stressed about him going out in these super dangerous jobs but he's like it's a controlled environment it's fine don't even worry don't stress so chris and his fiance had known each other for about five years and um lived pretty frugally while chris was going through all of his dive certification classes and everything to get ready for these like deep deep dives oh okay and so he finally got through everything and so what he is trained in is specialized saturation diving. Oh. So, or SAT. And so this means that you actually spend a lot more time in compression, in a compression chamber oh. before you go down to dive. And then you come back up and you spend even more time in the compression chamber. Interesting. Does okay. that make sense? Because you're going to be, you're, you're your get, body is getting used to that pressure beforehand. So Correct. Okay, okay. And then also sort of help you decompress afterwards. Okay. Yes. So he's been preparing to be this, you know, deep saturation, specialized saturation diver for a while now. Um, and it paid well and they were hoping that it would pay for their exciting future. So, for this September job, uh, Chris would be part of a three-man team, and they would all share this specialized saturation chamber while they're on this sort of, it's, I'm, I apologize, they're going to be on a ship, and there's going to be lots of teams doing this repair work on this pipeline okay. in the North Sea. So it's not just him and his team and his they take team. Turns. They take turns okay. going down. Yeah. So they're gonna be out though, out to sea for like four months. Oh wow. And so, so it's a big job. It is a big job. And so Chris is part of a three man team and he is gonna be aboard this vessel. It's a three hundred and 48 foot boat called the Topaz and he learned he would be working with a man named Duncan Alcock Uh and another man named David Uwasha. Yeah. David. Yeah. I nailed it. David and Duncan. Confidence. confidence. (laughs) Thank you, Caitlin. You're welcome. This will get better. I promise. Yeah, no, it's great. (laughs) Oh Lord. (laughs) So Duncan Mm -hmm. Alcott, who is 50, had had like 17 years worth of experience diving the North Sea. Wow. And was kind of the mentor to Chris. And so he helped him like get his first jobs and helped him sort of look good in front of the supervisors. And so Chris, who had been certified 18 months earlier, was super excited to be working with Duncan again. He's like, hell yeah, this guy's awesome. He knows his stuff. We're ready to rock and roll. And then they met David, who he knew by reputation. So he knew that he was going to be, you know, this guy is a pretty kick-ass diver. Yeah. So for the first few days, they hung out in this chamber that where they breathed in apparently a lot of helium, (laughs) which made it really difficult to uh, Chris, like couldn't talk to his fiance the entire time because he had this super high pitched voice. (laughs) It is kind of funny. Yeah. They had uh, super, their voices were high pitched and distorted. And so they kept, kept in contact via email and that type of thing. 
And so his fiance is off and she's doing her own adventures of bicycling and climbing on local mountains. Oh, wow. Just having an amazing time herself. Without him. (laughs) Yeah. He's fine. He's about to be underwater for forever, it seems. So on September 18th, it was Chris's team's turn to head down to this pipeline. Okay. So they all transferred into this. They left their decompression chamber Mm -hmm. and headed to a diving bell. Uh, do you know how long they were supposed to be working on it? Yes. It looks like six hours. Oh, okay. So they would be actually in the water down around 300 feet for six hours. Wow. So it's a pretty significant that amount is. of time. I mean, you think of to most dives. Yeah, even just normal diving, like you're going off a boat when you're like in Hawaii or yeah. whatever, you're only going to be under for like 45 minutes to an hour. Oh, really? And, you know, so to be down for six hours in such high pressure mm-hmm. um, takes a lot of preparation and a lot of know-how. I never uh, done that before. Scuba dive or... or uh, no, me neither. Um, snorkeling. I haven't done either. Oh, snorkeling. I've done snorkeling. That's pretty fun. Yeah. You get sunburnt and you feel like you're just food On for sharks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But I've actually never been scuba diving, just I think because of my ear. Like, I'm sure. Because my ear would never pop, and now mm-hmm. we kind of know why that I had a nepped up ear to start with. My sister went through scuba diving school, but she couldn't get certified because she couldn't, uh, was it, clear her mask? Like, oh. her lungs were not strong enough. Oh, I see. Yeah, so we went to the zoo while her husband did the class. <laughs> so I was fine, but. You're like, woohoo, zoo! Woohoo, zoo! But I don't think since I have asthma, I don't know if I, my breath is uh, strong enough mm. to do that. I don't know. I, I, you know, I'd like to give you some advice on scuba diving, but mm-hmm. it would be totally probably not correct. All right. So our three gentlemen, Chris, Duncan, and David, yes. all pile into this diving bell, mm. which is uh, sort of a contraption that is not very much bigger than the three of them. Oh, wow. And it has kind of their diving gear, and that's mm-hmm. where all the nitrogen is and the oxygen and all that stuff that they're going to be using for their dive. Okay. And where all of their cables are and all the kind of stuff. So They're set. They're set. So they descend down on cables 250 feet below the topaz, which is the boat. So they head down. The topaz is an interesting way of sort of keeping still. And now I got to like find it ahead of time. But it has all these sort of thrusters that it has five thrusters that actually work in tandem to keep the boat, the boat still. So rather than oh. dropping an anchor, uh-huh. it has all these different engines that just all work place. together that keep the boat in place. Oh, and interesting. So it doesn't have like a... You know. said an anchor. Yeah, an anchor that down. you would, a classic anchor that yeah. you would think down think of so just kind of keep that in mind as we're proceeding on with the story like a submarine because they kind of but it's on top of the water gotcha, gotcha. so all right so this diving bell that the three guys are in it goes down 250 feet and then chris and david now need to hop out and go down descend another 50 feet wow so they are now on the sea floor 300 feet underwater. I bet it's dark, huh? It's dark as shit. Mm. That's correct. That's absolutely correct. Um, But they have communication lines. They have power for lamps. They have cameras on their helmets. They have hot water that runs through their suits to keep them warm. So they're actually feeling pretty good. The seawater was actually 39 degrees Fahrenheit, but because they had all that warm water and everything, they were pretty much set and didn't it didn't feel that cold to them. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what Duncan's job back in the diving bell was, was to feed them line as David and Chris needed it. Oh, So okay. he just like, they both go down together and he drops off line as they need it. Because they each have 165 feet worth of cords wow. of lines that they can. And they went down 50 feet. Yeah. Okay. So 50 feet, so they have another, you know, 105 or 115 feet. Yeah. I know math, it's fine. Cool. All right. So above the water with the topaz, the wind is about 35 miles an hour, and some of the waves are getting a little higher. We're talking about 13 feet, 15 feet, 
a little bit more, but nothing that the Topaz couldn't handle. So as I was saying, it had the fixed propellers that kept it in place rather than the anchor. And so everything was looking good. This was a very routine job. So Duncan told Chris that it was, there's no rush. Take your time. It's a routine job. You're all good. So they head down. They drop through the little two and a half foot hole that's at the bottom of the diving bell. And they head into the dark ocean. And actually, this was always uh, Chris's favorite part. Because he always felt a little claustrophobic inside the diving bell because it's so small. And now that he's out, he just feels like he's weightless. And there's all this like pretty stuff because he's got his lamp. And there's, you know, things floating in the water and stuff. And it's just a delightful time. So they started working um, within this sort of structure that was already in place down in the water. Mm. So there, the structure was 30 feet high and 60 feet, 66 feet long with pipes and valves that managed the oil flowing to and from, or just to probably <laughs> from wells to the platforms. So they would be down working on this pipeline, as I said, for six hours. Ooh. Yeah. Up on the ship, there's another guy, dive supervisor, Craig Frederick, and he was sort of monitoring everything. He's the guy that is actually speaking to David and Chris while they're inside oh, okay. on the, actually out on the, on the ocean. Because actually Duncan in the diving bell does not have communication. He's got communication with Craig up top, mm-hmm. but not David and Chris. Only Craig up top has so communication. So Craig would be like, more line, and you just blah, 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 blah. Yeah, okay. so, yeah, like, Craig is watching the whole thing, kind of telling them what to do, where they should be, and just making sure everything's kind of going how it should. They're watching all the gauges. They're making sure the oxygen's correct and all this kind of fun okay. things. So they had been working for about an hour when they heard some noise from Craig's control room. There was an alarm going off, and so they were thinking, like, is the like crew running a test? Uh-huh. Like, what's going on with this alarm? But they just kind of kept on working, you know, not really understanding what was going on. But what was going on is the Topaz had a problem. Uh-oh. Those engines that kept the... You know, the propellers that kept the ship in place uh-huh. actually failed. And oh. so now the Topaz is beginning to drift because it has no anchor to keep oh, no. it in place. Okay. And so Craig calls down to them and is just like, drop your tools and get back to the diving bell. Uh-huh. Like, you got to yeah. go right now. So they were like, oh, shit, okay. They had never been told to leave their tools before or anything. And so they were like, we better freaking go. So they start using their oxygen flow tubes and that type of thing, Mm -hmm. which is reinforced with steel. So it's not just like plastic that they're pulling onto. Uh They pull, they use those to sort of bring themselves back to the ship. So they, they have the umbilical cord that, bring some hot water and oxygen and all that fun stuff. Uh-huh. So they grab those to pull them back to the diving bell. Oh, Does okay. that make sense? Yeah, yeah, So they just fall in the line back up. That's exactly correct. Okay. So Duncan actually didn't know what was happening. Duncan is hanging out in the dive bell, and he hears from Craig up above, you need to start hauling in the lines. So he's hauling in the lines, not really kind of understanding why. So they start hauling in the lines and Chris's line is just starts getting tighter and tighter and Chris is not able to make his way in and they're like what the hell is going on and it turns out Chris's line was wrapped around part of that steel structure that was underwater oh my gosh and so he like gets over there and is trying to unravel it it Mm -hmm. and get it you know free so he can keep on going and duncan is like sees that chris's line is super tight and he's like give diver two more slack and he's like i can't and (gasps) what is starting to happen is the line is beginning to pull from the side of the diving bell so there's so much because we have the topaz up above. Yeah. We have the diving bell, which is connect, 
connected to the topaz. Yeah. The topaz is leaving. The diving bell is going along with it. Oh. Chris is stuck with his line tied around this metal structure. And so, and the diving bell is getting pulled away. So now his line is beginning to pull the metal off of the diving bell side, mm-hmm. inside. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I and see. like Duncan was like, holy shit, if this thing flies off the side of the diving bell, it's going to rip through the floor and take me with it. Mm. And so Duncan can do almost nothing to help poor Chris. And poor Chris is down in the water, 300 feet below, trying to, or I guess 50 feet below, trying to unravel this line. Yeah. And just trying and trying. David, whose line is free and has made it almost back to the diving bell, was like, Chris needs help. I got to go help him. So he fights the current to try to make his way back to where Chris is. And he sort of sees what the problem is with the line and all that. And he gets super close. He gets within just like yards of him. And then he gets yanked away. Because the diving bell and the topaz have floated away oh so far gosh. that it just takes David with them. And so, and then Chris felt this huge sort of, and heard this really sharp sort of bang. Uh-huh. And then realized that his line had been broken. <gasps> and so the topaz, the diving bell, David and Duncan are all gone. And there is Chris at the bottom, under three, 300 feet underwater Holy in total pitch black. And because he's got no power now, yeah. no communication. And so he starts to try to take a breath and realizes he can't and turns on his emergency air. Oh, my gosh. Okay, at least he has that. So he's oh, got okay. eight minutes <gasps> worth of That's air. That's nothing. That's nothing. Due to the the cable snapping, yeah, he, he got sort of pushed back. It snapped, and mm-hmm. the inertia and like the energy in it, like threw him back away from this sort of metal manifold oh. thing. And so now he's in the like at the bottom of the sea. So he just sort of lands into this sort of soft mud, oh and was it with no light anywhere. Like, just total pitch black. And then there's poor Duncan in the diving bell who's, like, bringing back Chris's line and Mm -hmm. then brings it back with nothing on the other end and was like, oh, Oh shit. So Chris struggled to his feet. He's in total darkness. He knew that the ship could actually track him because he's got a beacon in his suit. Uh But he figured he had to get himself up to that... To the top of the steel manifold to have any way of being saved. Because otherwise they would have to like search all over the ground and it was going to be a huge, it was just going to be a lot harder to find him and then save him. And as we said, he's got eight minutes of oxygen left. So he picked a direction at random and took a few cautious steps. And thankfully his outstretched arms hit metal. And oh. so he was like, he found the metal structure. Oh, wow. Okay. So Lucky. he was, yeah, he was like, thank God. Yeah. He had a ton of relief. So he began to sort of make his way up the top of this thing. And he was breathing really hard. It was mm. a big struggle. He couldn't still couldn't see anything. But he got to the top. And he's wondering, where the fuck did the topaz go? <laughs> like, what am I going to do? So he got to the top of the platform and clung to the metal grill. He was terrified that the current would drag him away. At this point, he figured he probably had about five minutes left of air. And he knew his chances of surviving were probably pretty slim yeah. at this point. Ugh. And unfortunately, the situation was actually even worse than he thought. The topaz was now over 700 feet away. <gasps> And the crew was trying desperately to turn it around to try to make its way back because they knew they had lost a diver. But, I mean, this is a giant ship. It's 350 feet. It's not going to just turn around and be like, zip, we're right back. So they had to, like, manually get the thrusters going, and it was a big old fucking mess. And so the topaz was slowly making its way back. So the minutes passed, and Chris... Pretty much his fear had turned to grief at this point because he just figured, I've got like three minutes left. I'm probably going to die. I'm sorry, Morag. His 
fiance. Yeah, He's sorry. Fiance. He was actually thinking about all kinds of really mundane things like, does she know when the next payment for the builders needs Aww. to go out? And just all kinds of silly things. And he shouted out for Duncan, where are you guys? Like, what's going on? And then his chest grew tighter and his oxygen dwindled. And he just hoped that dying didn't hurt. I'm like, Aww. that's where he's at. And he felt himself slowly slipping into unconsciousness. No. So now Chris is unconscious he's under floating. the water. Oh my god! He's he's probably not holding on, but fortunately yeah. he was able to stay on top of that steel manifold. So Craig <laughs> up at the Topaz sent an underwater vehicle down to look for Chris. Oh, and okay. what it sent back was pictures of him laying on this metal grill oh my underneath. Gosh. And it looked like his hands were twitching, so he thought maybe he was still alive. But at this point, 16 minutes had passed since that. He only that had eight minutes. He of, only had eight oh minutes. Oh, my gosh. So he's been without oxygen for eight minutes. Oh, it's so long. It is a long time. And so David made it back to the bell and pretty much started getting himself ready to be able to go back out oh, to try okay. to save Chris. And... Pretty much, they were, like, locked and loaded, ready to go as soon as they could get the topaz and the diving bell back into position. Oh, no. So, they just have to sit there and wait. Oh, my gosh. That's the hardest part. So, at this point, David and Duncan are thinking they're probably going to be retrieving a body. I mean, they were like, oh, my God, how are we going to tell his fiance? Mm -hmm. I mean, just really dark thoughts. And they just said the agate or... Excuse me. The wait was agonizing. Oh, as they're absolutely. waiting for the boat to come back into position. Yeah, because like you said, it's it's gonna take a long time for that big thing to turn around. Exactly. And... So they just kept constant communication to make sure the positioning was right. And now they're like finally able to get the positioning system yeah. back working by rebooting it. They were like, "Fuck it, let's turn it off and turn it back on." And oh, it, okay. That fixed it. What? <laughs> yes, what? That fixed it. Oh my but gosh. Now it's been 25 minutes since. No. So he has been without oxygen for like 17 minutes. So they finally got the ship over the dive site. Mm-hmm. And David got his everything together and he went into the water to go down and try to find him. And he was actually able to find him almost immediately. Oh, okay. And That's so good. he looked into his mask and he was like, this isn't good. His whole mask was full of water. Oh. And they were like, all right. So they clipped him onto the rescue lanyards uh-huh. and they essentially... David started hauling him back using his own cord, his own umbilical oh, cord okay. with oxygen. And, cord. Well, they've been calling it an, uh, an umbilical yeah, cord. Okay. I guess it kind of makes sense. Uh, it's got it's true. oxygen and warm water and that's everything true. you need to live. So, <laughs> so I guess uh, Chris was actually a pretty big guy. So it was pretty difficult to oh. get him back. He said it was like trying to carry a giant starfish. So <laughs> it was... So by the time they were able to put push Chris's upper body into the bell, uh-huh. another six minutes had passed. So, I mean, we're oh talking, gosh. we're into the 30 minutes now. There's so, just no way. Oh, so Duncan unclipped his helmet. Chris's eyes were closed and his bald head was as blue as a pair of jeans <gasps> is what it said. Oh my gosh. They said there was like little chance of him surviving that long without yeah. oxygen. But they said, fuck it, we got nothing to lose, and they started CPR. Oh, okay. And so Duncan gave Chris two breaths, and then unbelievably, Chris like opened his eyes. Two breaths? Two breaths. After 30 minutes? Wow. Yeah. His eyes opened, and he started blinking, and Duncan felt like he could have danced a jig. (laughs) (laughs) He's back with us. I know. It's like 50, I think it said. Ah, <laughs> uh, so they asked, I was like, are you all right? And Chris gave him a thumbs up. Aww. So they started flushing out his suit with hot water and asking him, it's like, do you know where you are yeah. and what happened? And he's like, yeah. 
<laughs> I do remember. So he was groggy, but he seemed like himself. And so they got him into the decompression decompression chamber and they just like lots of hugs Aww. going around. <laughs> So over the next three days, they depressurized on the topaz and then they were able to like sort of talk through what happened again and again. And they totally like made fun of them for snogging on the like dive trip. You know, it's like the CPR oh. is like, why are you trying to make out? Right. And it's like, that's not appropriate. And so now it's like, oh, great. So uh, Chris has no brain damage. Um, really? Yeah. And that's lucky. how he survived is still unclear. Mm-hmm. Um, what they think is because he had been essentially pumped up with such high oxygen rich gas. Beforehand. That he, beforehand. Okay, yeah. That he probably had a lot of oxygen in his system still when he even when he stopped oh. breathing. And that perhaps helped. Yeah. And also... The super cold temperatures on the bottom of the ocean, they think, sort of put him into shutdown mode. And they just, his body sent all the oxygen to all of his organs. And that's how he was able to come out of it with actually almost no injuries. Yeah. Chris was able to phone uh, his fiance. And she, of course, raced across uh, Scotland to meet him. (laughs) And as soon as he disembarked the topaz, she smothered him in kisses and hugs. (laughs) And so so she said that she was super proud of him and that many would have said, this is too dangerous and I'm not coming back. But that is not what Chris did. He immediately went back down. He said he didn't want to lose his nerve and continue to be... uh, specialized saturation diver to this day so they went ahead and got married they adopted a little girl (laughs) and they finished their house and they just they had a glimpse of dying and then they're not scared anymore he had a lucky second chance i've always had a lust for life and the accident only made that stronger oh my gosh wow the fact that he just went straight back like eh you know oh my gosh i do Kind of want to know if something happened to him. Like, did he get taken away from his body for a little while? Oh, or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I just kind of wonder. I've seen a lot of those stories, too. Yeah, where like they're they actually. They went to heaven or and then came back or they went to hell and then came back. Yeah, it's like, like, nah, Whoa. that's not for me. I'll be better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I guess I, I would feel like they would put that in the story. Maybe just thought he was sleep. I don't know. I guess know. he just was unconscious. That's so crazy. I like to think not. Dude, deep water is so scary. (laughs) Thank you, Caitlin, for saying that because that is true. Even despite my ear and everything, I don't even know if I could ever go scuba diving. I don't know. It's just so scary. Joel goes scuba diving and he says it's the greatest because you can sit at the bottom Uh and see everything above you. Whereas snorkeling, you're on the top of the water. and You just just see what's below you. I guess hoping and God, when I was in Hawaii doing scuba diving, uh-huh. every single thing like there's buoys out there uh-huh. that all the it must be a popular scuba site or something because uh-huh. ships will come and like attach to this one buoy. Oh, and every time I look over, I'm like shark, <laughs> like I'm gonna be dead. And in fact, it's not the yeah. case at all. There was no sharks. There's so much shit in the ocean. There you is a lot of know. shit. Well, and I think there's just so much shit that we don't know about. Yeah. It's just so deep and dark and unexplored and who even fucking knows what. Yeah. There's probably aliens living under there. Mm. Atlantis. I was like, maybe that's like makes me happier about the whole thing. It's not so dangerous. Aliens are down there. <laughs> you think aliens are just chilling nice? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You don't? Have you seen World of the Worlds? No. Or War of the Worlds, whatever, sorry. I'm not having any part of that. That's a good movie. No, I haven't seen it. You haven't seen it? No. What? I don't know how I haven't seen it. They did a remake with Tom Cruise, and that's actually pretty good, too. No, I haven't. Well, in part of me, it's like, that's all propaganda. They're just trying to make us scatter. Oh, my God. Sci-fi is propaganda? Yes. Oh, my God, Michelle. You're so funny. I I belong to the uh, Star Trek. Everyone's here to just elevate everyone else. That's good. That's a good (laughs) thing. It's 
probably not that you're like bitch mm, you know sorry what? you're gonna be dead you're the first <laughs> one. <laughs> oh, no that's good oh that's lord good. well these drinks were good these drinks were good and it's been a good month so far these were good stories I know Lots fucking fall is here now fall all the oh. basic bitches are coming out as in me with mm. my scarves and Chunky boots or my <laughs> yeah. chunky scarf. My I boots. already have a sweatshirt on. You do. Oh, I love so the rain. Soft. If it could rain every day, I'd be happy. I'm almost like too warm, but I can't take my sweater off. I hear you. Like I just don't want to. I hear you. That's mm. a great feeling. I'm getting flushed. Ugh. Well, uh, we hope you enjoyed these stories, and please follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and you can check our website out. I should totally be dead right now. I should totally be dead right now. Dot com. And, yeah, we'll see you next time. Maybe think twice about being a specialized saturation diver. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I'm, you're like, yeah. bitch, you're done. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye.